In this Parsha, Avraham is told to go. Then there's a drought, so he meets Paro. On the way out of Egypt, they're given provisions. At the end of the Parsha, they perform circumcision. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Parsha Lechacha. And we will start with the first two words of the Parsha, Lechacha, which means uh, go for yourself. So it's interesting why the why the Torah, why Hashem didn't just say, lech, go. Um, why specifically did it have to add on lecha to, to yourself? So I think to explain this, it makes most sense uh, to look at a mushal, at the story of a stone, a story of a, a stone cutter and someone that, you know, would, would cut stones in, in mountains. And this stone cutter, uh, he always, you know, was was working on this on this uh, mountain and he would see the king at the bottom of the, of the mountain riding with you know a, a big parade and it seemed like the best life so he asked you know could I be the king and all of a sudden lo and behold he was the king and then once he was the king he was riding in his parades it was great but the sun came down and it was so hot that he decided you know what, I'd rather be the sun. And lo and behold, he was the sun. And then after he was the sun, he became, uh, he, he was trying to, you know, shine his light everywhere. But there was those pesky clouds that kept getting in the way. So he said he'd rather be a cloud. So he turned into a cloud. Then once he was a cloud, he was, you know, moving things and making storms and uh, um, creating, you know, any kind of overcast or, or storm that he wanted. But Every time that he ran into a mountain, he couldn't figure out how to get around it. So he said, I'd rather be a mountain. So he changed into a mountain. And once he was a mountain, he felt a sharp, you know, pain on his side. And lo and behold, it was the stone cutter that was cutting into the mountain. And he said, you know what? And all that rigmarole, he'd rather be the, he'd realize that the stone cutter, who he was originally, is who he wants to be again. And I think what this lesson teaches us is the lech lecha, that, you know, it, it's impossible. That, that, so the, the lesson of this story is twofold. First of all, ultimately, usually what we need, what, what we want, what we need, what we desire, we already have it. But the second lesson is the only way to understand that is by traveling, is by experiencing things, is by going, is by going to yourself. Basically, it's impossible to find yourself without first searching. And that's what lechacha perhaps means, that it means Avraham had to not only go but and, and not only find himself, but the only method to find yourself is by going. And like that story of the stonecutter, the stonecutter would never have realized he wanted to be a stonecutter or, he, you know, that, that he was in the position that he wanted to be had he not done that whole process of being the king, the sun, the cloud, the mountain, the, the, the you know, and, and then eventually back to the stonecutter. But it's the journey itself. That's how you find yourself. Moving on. So, you know, there's a question here that, you know, last week's Parsha for Noah. We're told Noah um, was, a, you know, an ish tzaddik, a righteous person. So why, in this week's parsha, though, it just just gives, you know, just as Avraham was told to to go. And what's so special about Avraham? Why was Avraham chosen? We we don't really know nothing about him. Um, and the answer I heard was that everybody was actually told lechacha. That in life, a lot of the times, you know. 
a lot of people are given unbelievable opportunities that say, Lechacha, go, you know, do something, make, make something for yourself. And the reality is, most people are just comfortable where they're at and uh, they don't change. You know, I think this, this kind of answers a very glaring problem with this lechacha, you know, lechacha is um, is one of the one of the ten tests that um, that that Moshe, or sorry, that Avraham faced. And um, w- what's fascinating is what's so hard about this test of lechacha, because uh, ultimately, you know, the the parsha goes on to say that that Avraham will become a great nation and he will be blessed and you know everyone will bless him. So what's so bad about becoming a great nation being blessed? Why is that so hard to leave? And I think one of the answers is, is that everybody is told, everybody is told that same message of go and make something for yourself and you're going to become a great nation and, and you're going to have tremendous potential. And yet very few people actualize that, uh, that, um, that opportunity. And, you know, I think it's important to realize that when we have an opportunity in front of us, we should, we should take it. We should uh, not squander it. And the reality is here that most people uh, will be told and they don't do anything about it. They, they stay where they're at. And uh, in fact, so according to that opinion, everybody was told and the reason that Avraham was worthy of becoming Avraham Avinu, Avraham our father, is because Avraham he um, he was the only one that responded. He was the only one that took action when given the opportunity. Moving on, so the parsha says that uh, that lachacha uh, that he had to he had to go from first from his land, then from your first from your land, then your relatives, then your father's house. But this seems a little bit out of order. It should be first, logically, you think about leaving a place, you first leave your father's house, then you leave your relatives, and lastly, you leave your land. But the Torah gives it the reverse order, that first you're leaving your land, then your relatives, then your father's house. And I think the reason for this reverse order is because we know that Avraham's father, Terach, um, according to... The sages Terach was a Baltshuva. He he was someone that, of course, at the beginning of his life he sold idols. But later on in his life, we know that he actually was headed to the land of Israel, and uh, he didn't make it there, but he was headed to the land of Israel. And the lesson here being is that Avraham, there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. There's no such thing as a person that can completely you know, be revolutionary all by themselves. That just, it does not exist. And Avraham, you know, one of the greatest people to have ever lived, Avraham, of course, he, uh, according to the the sages, he had a father who himself, Terach, who himself had aspirations of going to Israel, who himself was a Baal who himself was someone that was had this kind of had this sort of spirit about him that was he was he, he had a lechacha spirit himself, and that's why um, the Torah gives this reverse order that first your land, then your relatives, then your father's house. Because ultimately, to become Avraham, the easiest place for him to live was his land because he was least associated with every all the other corrupt people in his land. He was least associated with them. 
And his relatives, okay, he was a little bit more associated with his relatives. In his father's house, he was most associated with. And the reason he had to leave his father's house last was because his father's house was kind of most close, the closest to the ideal. His father's house, he, his, his father, Terach, he was already, his father was already a Balteshuva. So he, so Avraham didn't have to go that much further than his own father. Of course, Avraham ultimately had to leave his father's house. Ultimately, Avraham had to make something even better of himself than his father made of him, you know, and make a, make a greater name for himself than his father uh, made for himself. Yet, um, yet we, we see that the reason perhaps that it's in the Torah gives that reverse order is because Avraham, he was able to leave his land, then his relatives and his father's house last. And uh, leaving his father's house last, the reason was, is that Terach, his father, was already almost, almost there. And Avraham, just to become Avraham Avinu, ultimately had to leave his father's house, but that um, he was able to do that last because that was the sort of the least antithetical to his ultimate purpose. Um, so moving on, uh, I asked that question of why is it such a test? You know, Avraham's told you'll become a great nation and you'll be blessed. Uh, so why is it a test to leave? So the Panim Yafot, he says that why is it a test? It's because um, it's because God kind of said, look, you, I t- I'm telling you to leave. And also, there's also going to be all these great things. And the Panim Yafot says the, the challenge, the test is what was the motivation what was the motivation for um, for Avraham to leave? The motivation, the Panim Yafot said, was is not because all those good things were going to happen to him, that he was going to become a great nation. Rather, it was simply because God told him to do it, and uh, that's why he did it. So moving on, so once he gets to Israel, almost immediately there's a famine. and um, and And as a result, he picks up and he goes to, to Egypt. And I think that uh, to explain this story, and, and and again, this was also another test that uh, that Abraham had to pass. This test being that he gets to the land of Israel, he gets to where he was told to be, and all of a sudden there's a roadblock. There's a famine. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna is he gonna leave Israel? Is he gonna be disgusted by it, or is he gonna uh, you know be able? Is he gonna be able to still hold his head high and just uh, wait wait it out in uh, Egypt? So to explain this. There's a fascinating Gemara talking about how the all the other nations will say, you know, had we been given the chance of doing the mitzvot, we would have, and we would have got this tremendous reward. And God says, okay, fine, I'll give you the mitzvah of, this easy mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah. And then God makes it very, very hot. And the uh, the people, the, the other nations, they get so disgusted by the heat that they leave the sukkah and they kick it on their way out. So the Gemara asks there, wait a minute, mitztayer pater mina sukkah, meaning a person that is um, miserable is, is, um, is pater, is exempt from being from the mitzvah of the sukkah, from, from sitting in the sukkah. So clearly when it gets so hot, that person is uncomfortable. And as a result, they are uh, exempt from sitting in the sukkah. So why are the um, why is the Torah kind of why, or why is the Gemara sort of punishing them for leaving? It should be that they they had the right to leave because they were they were putter from the sukkah because they were uncomfortable. 
and the answer that the Gemara gives is that they shouldn't have kicked the sukkah on the way out. It was okay for them to leave, but they shouldn't have kicked it on the way out. That was the problem. And I think that this explains what Avraham did that was correct. So Avraham, he gets to the land of Israel, and all of a sudden, there's a famine. It's like when the, when the other nations get in the sukkah, and all of a sudden, it gets too hot. What do you do? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your mindset? And basically the answer is, the correct answer, is that you're just supposed to leave. You're, you're, you know, you're allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation. You're allowed to leave the sukkah if it gets too hot. You're allowed to leave the land of Israel if there is a famine. Yet, we're not supposed to kick it on the way out. We're not supposed to, you know, sometimes we have plans. We have, uh, you know, we, 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 we think that everything's going to go a certain way. And, uh, you know, and, and presumably Avraham, he thought when he got to the land of Israel, everything would be perfect. And same, same, same applies with uh, these other nations that were told to sit in the sukkah. They assumed everything, all the hard work they did to build the sukkah, that everything would be perfect. Yet, sometimes life doesn't always go as planned, and we're not supposed to get so angry that we kick it, that we kick our old plans. Rather, you know, life changes. Uh, you know, Hashem puts us in a different direction, and all of a sudden, we are able to adjust. And that's what Avraham did by leaving Egypt sorry, by leaving Israel for Egypt when there was that drought. He wasn't, he didn't kick the land of Israel. He wasn't uh, mad at the land of Israel. Rather, he was, um, you know, that's just what happened. He, he made plans to go to Israel and ultimately there was a famine and he was able to adjust and didn't hold any resentment in his heart uh, about God telling him to come to Israel. Um, another interesting point here is so the Ramban has a different opinion on the fact that Moshe, or uh, on the fact that Avraham left for uh, left for Egypt once there was a once there was a drought. Uh, the Ramban says this was actually a mistake that he shouldn't have left, and I think what's fascinating here is that uh, this overall lesson that you know we're not afraid to point out mistakes in our leaders in our in our ancestors, and by pointing out those mistakes, ultimately uh, we become more acceptable, more uh, accepting um, of you know we we become sort of we recognize that our greatest leaders made mistakes. So, so too, if we make a mistake, we also, that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll never become anything. Rather, the greatest people in our societies, Moshe, Avraham, all of these people, they also made mistakes. And so too, if we make a mistake, we, you know, we're, we're kind of also redeemable, uh, so to speak. So when, when Avraham gets to the land of Egypt, um, so, he he tells Sarah to he tells his wife to uh, say that that she is um, she's Avraham's sister, and so so Paro he tries to take her in and and marry Sarah. Uh, yet you know obviously since Sarah was Avraham's wife, uh, Paro he got this terrible plague, and he was able to sort of examine his own. Uh, his, his examine his own fault, examine what did he do wrong. And as a result, he realized that what he must have done wrong, the reason he had this plague, is because he tried to marry Sarah. And it's just interesting that uh, Paro had this sort of this spiritual acuity, so to speak, the spiritual awareness that when he had a plague, he was willing to inspect himself. He was willing to sort of uh, do... 
um, do a sort of a cheshvon nefesh, you know, look at inspection of his of his soul, uh, and look at what he's doing wrong. And ultimately, he realized what he did wrong was he tried to marry Sarah, and so too he realizes he also has the spiritual sort of acuity by realizing that Hagar. Uh, who will become Avraham's wife. Um, but at the time, Hagar is Paro's daughter. And uh, he, Paro realizes that Hagar would actually be better off spiritually to be the servant of Avraham than to be the daughter, basically to be the princess of, of Pharaoh. Um, and that's another kind of sign that, that Pharaoh had this certain spiritual awareness about him. So moving on, so... Um, so on the way home from Egypt, uh, the the word lamasav um, is used, lamasav, and that means uh, his journeys. And why his journeys? What's the what's the av part? Why his journeys? So Rashi explains this implies his journeys implies that Avraham stopped at all the exact same sort of hotels, all the same places uh, on the way home from Egypt as he did on the way there. So on the way to Egypt, uh, he stopped at certain places, and on the way home, he stopped at all the same places. And I heard a tremendous sort of a Musser lesson, a tremendous sort of um, uh, ethical lesson here, being that presumably Abraham, on his way to Egypt, he didn't have much money. He was, you know, running away from a famine. He didn't have much with him. So he probably stayed at relatively inexpensive hotels, inexpensive accommodations. Yet on his way home, he had tons of wealth because uh, Paro gave him all sorts of wealth. And the, the Musar is, is that, uh, that regardless sort of of how much wealth a person has, they are supposed to live a simple, a simple kind of life that, uh, that, that, that Rashi says here, the reason that, that Avraham stuck to all the same places on the way home as he did on the way there, even though he was a lot wealthier, the Musar is, is that even if we have sort of money, if we have resources, we shouldn't overindulge in the things that could be sort of more simple. And, uh, he, because Avraham sort of went to Egypt simply, um, he also was supposed to leave Egypt in a similar kind of simple, simple way. Um, moving on, so uh, eventually Lot and Avraham, they have to split because there's so many cattle that the land isn't big enough for, for everybody. And so Lot and Avraham split. And I think it's a tremendous lesson here that had they not had so much cattle, uh, they there wouldn't have been any any real problem. It was only because of the tremendous amounts of wealth they had. And I think it just kind of goes to show you, similar to my last point, that regardless of how much wealth a person has, they should kind of still stick to sort of somewhat of the bare necessities. They shouldn't be overindulgent. And same is true here that uh, that basically, you know, a person might think the more wealth they have, the better off they'll be. Yet here we see that sort of more money, more problems to a certain extent, that when a person has a ton of cattle, then eventually their cattle, they're going to start fighting for resources. Had they not had so much cattle, they wouldn't have been in such a bind for those resources. So sort of, there's always a new problem around the corner. You might think something's better, but the reality is there's probably another problem associated with it. Moving on, so um, it's interesting that why did Avraham separate from Lot? Uh, because Presumably, Avraham was this tremendous influence. So why did he have to separate from Lot? I heard 
Answer being is that Lot was such a bad influence that Avraham realized that he would have weighed, that Avraham would have been influenced negatively from being around Lot, so he sort of had to separate. He couldn't have reconciled the differences. Another thing to think about is Avraham says, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And the lesson being here is that sometimes, even though Lot was the one that was wrong, Lot was the one that was sort of cheating Avraham. Lot was the one that was having his cattle eat in Avraham's spaces. Yet, um, even though Lot was the one that was doing the wrong thing, sometimes we have to sort of uh, sort of submit, sort of uh, be willing to compromise, even if we know as a fact that we're in the right that Avraham knew he was he, he was kosher that that he never had his his um that that he never had his animals eat in Lot's property yet Lot was the one that was eating in Avraham's property yet despite that Avraham was willing to say you know what I'm not going to tell Lot to just go his own way and I'm going to stay right where I am rather even Avraham was willing to compromise Avraham was willing to go the opposite direction Avraham was willing to say you know what? I know that. Yeah, you know, I know in my heart that uh, that that I'm the one that's right. Yet, with that being said, I'm also willing to compromise, even though I know I'm right. I'm willing to, you know, I, I don't have to prove it necessarily. I'm willing to sort of split up. I'm willing to go left, even though even though you go right. Uh, I'm willing to go left. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna demand that I stay in my same land. Moving on. So the. Um, Jews are compared to dust, and the reason that Jews are compared to dust is because um, the, there's a midrash that says that dust will outlive anyone that steps on it. You know, the Jews have been stepped on, have been persecuted against quite a bit, yet the Jews are still around and all those other nations uh, aren't. So moving on, so Avraham, he gets spoils um, from this sort of, from this epic world war that happens, and um and Avraham says he won't even take a shoe strap. He's not willing to take anything. Yet, um, Avraham's careful to say that even though he's not willing to take anything, any of this, any of the the spoils from from this big war, he says, you know what, my fighters, my my people that help me, my allies, they should get their full share. And sort of, you know, a person can be sort of exotic on their own, but they shouldn't subject others. They shouldn't subject the other people that are with them to be held to sort of their same standard. Moving on, so Abraham is told after this big war, um, Hashem tells Avraham, don't fear because I'm a shield for you. And I think, you know, what exactly, the, the obvious question is, what is Avraham fearing? You know, the, the war, this world war is already over. So why would Avraham fear anything? And I think the Torah is recognizing sort of PTSD, so to speak, that Avraham had a certain level of PTSD, had a certain level of, of, of trauma from being in this world war. And as a result of that trauma, um, Moshe, or, or, uh, Hashem is telling, uh, telling Avraham that you shouldn't fear, even though, of course, there's nothing to actually fear because the war is over. Uh, it's still important sometimes to reflect after sort of a traumatic event. It's important to decompress, to, to realize, okay, I don't have anything to fear, and sort of to work out those, those feelings because uh, ultimately had, had Avraham been in the war and, you know, at, at the time immediately following war, even though the war was over, he was still so stressed. He still had a certain level of PTSD that uh, Hashem had to tell him, don't fear. Moving on. 
So we get to an interesting part of the Parsha that says, Sfar um, im tochel lispar, meaning count the stars if you're able to. And then after that, um, the Parsha says, Otam vayomer lo ko zarecha, which means, and he said, meaning, and Hashem said, so shall be your offspring. So basically, to recap, that the fact that, so Hashem first tells Avraham, um, go and count the stars if you're able to. And then after that, Atem Vayomer, Vayomer Lo, that after that, um, Hashem says, this will be your offspring. The obvious question here is, we already knew that Hashem said, go and count the stars if you're able to. So why does the Torah have to say, uh, what, what does the Torah again have to say? And he said, so shall be your offspring. It should have just been, count the stars so, uh, Count the stars if you're able, and so will be your offspring. So why does the Torah have to kind of add in, and he said, who else would have been talking? And the answer I heard was that there was a lot of time. There was a lot of time in between when, uh, when God said, go and count the stars, and then ultimately there was sort of such a gap in time that we had to be reminded that God is going to say, so will be your offspring. And the lesson here being is that when, when God said, go and count the stars, Avraham, you know, could have taken this uh, figuratively, could have said, okay, I know I can't count the stars, so I'm not really going to count them. Yet Avraham was told, even though this was almost an impossible task to count the stars, uh, since God told him to count the stars, he was willing to do it. He was sort of willing to go above and beyond, even if it seemed impossible. He was willing to try it. He was willing to count the stars. And the lesson being is that because he was willing to count the stars, this kind of person, um, this kind of sort of commitment to, to what God says, that God says go and count the stars, even though it's almost impossible, there's there's Avraham counting the stars. And Hashem says, so shall be your offspring, meaning your offspring should also be like you. Your offspring should be kind of as crazy as you are. You're, you're, as, you're crazy enough to go and count the stars just because I told you to do it. So too, your offspring should be just as crazy as you are and willing to try something, even though it almost seems impossible. Um, moving on, so Hashem tells his descendants um, uh, that... So, so Hashem tells Avraham that Avraham's descendants will become slaves, but they'll leave with a lot of wealth. And Avraham, he doesn't uh, refute this. He doesn't complain. Even though we know later in the Torah, Avraham will complain about uh, why Hashem is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, yet, in this point, at this point in time, Hashem says that his own descendants are going to be slaves and Avraham doesn't say anything, so why wouldn't Avraham complain? And I think the answer is, it's because Avraham was also told that they're going to leave with a tremendous amount of wealth, and meaning that it's sort of like a person that goes to a gym. You know, if, a, if an alien came down and watched people at the gym, they would think, who is crazy enough to go to a gym? You know, a gym, it's, it's tiring, it's, you work hard, it's painful, it's, uh, it's, it's stressful. Who would want to go to a gym? Who would want to work so hard to be at a gym? But the answer is, is that when you're at the gym, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult in the moment. But when you leave the gym, you feel refreshed. You feel like you worked hard. Your muscles are stronger. You're in better shape. And that's kind of what 
what Avraham realized. Avraham realized that his descendants, yes, it's true, they're kind of basically, they, they are going to be slaves, but sort of that slavery is like, it's like going to the gym. It's like, yeah, it's painful. Yeah, in the moment, it hurts. But ultimately, in the end, they're going to leave with tremendous wealth. And same, same too, that at the gym, you're going to leave with, you know, uh, in, in better shape. And the Jews will be slaves, but ultimately, they will leave better for it. Moving on, so when Hagar becomes pregnant, Sarah treats her harshly. And um, Rav Levin says, how is it possible that Sarah would treat someone harshly? That's just totally antithetical to the way that we think of Sarah. And Rav Levin says that, um, that Sarah actually treated Hagar exactly the same as she did before Hagar was pregnant. But Hagar sort of, once she became pregnant... Hagar had a had a better self image of herself. She she viewed herself more positively, and because she viewed herself so positively, she wasn't willing to be treated as a servant anymore. And um, you know, I think it's a, an interesting lesson that we actually can take from Hagar that certain times in life we're treated a certain way, and we think that's just the way that life is. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of given this boost, this 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 boost of self-confidence. And we realize, wait a minute, we should actually be treated better than we were. And ultimately, Hagar leaves. Hagar says, you know what, I'm done being treated this way, and leaves Sarah. And eventually she comes back. But it's an important lesson that, uh, you know, Certain times we're treated a certain way, and then something happens to us. In Sarah's, in Hagar's case, she becomes pregnant. Something happens where we kind of have a boost, a boost of self-confidence. And when we have that boost of self-confidence, we realize that we haven't been treated. We haven't been treated in the way that we should have been treated, and we're maybe able to leave some bad situations. Moving on to the last point, so we get to the mitzvah of um, of bris uh, of uh, bris mila of circumcision. And, you know, it's fascinating. Why is this chosen as the ultimate covenant for the Jewish people? And I think the answer is, is that, you know, we kind of, there's a fallacy out there. The fallacy being that it's harder to give something away than it is to add something, uh, than it is to, to lose something that we weren't holding on to. And this is kind of what is happening with bris mila, that, um, it's harder to lose something that we have than than um, just not get a gain. And for bris mila, where you know where every every man is given uh, a foreskin, and you might have sort of the inclination to say, "Wait a minute, that's my foreskin. I have that. That belongs to me." And the reason that mila is such a tremendous covenant is because it's so difficult giving something away that we had in our hands, that we had attached to our bodies, so to speak. We had you know, the foreskin attached to our bodies, and yet we're told uh, that we have to give it away. And once we're able to give away something that we have, something that's in our grasp, that's ultimately, that will lead us to be better people. That'll leave, lead us to give more tzedakah, to be more giving, more, more um, you know, more giving people, people that are kinder. Uh, because if we're able to, on our eighth day of life, able to give away part of our own bodies, then certainly we'll be able to give away some of our wealth later on in life. So to recap quickly, um, so first of all, the Parsha starts with Lechacha, go for yourself. And I talked about how the story of the stonecutter um, and how 
the stonecutter sees the king and wants to be the king, then uh, gets burned by the sun and wants to be the sun, and then is blocked by the clouds, wants to be the clouds, and then is the clouds are stopped by the mountain, so wants to be the mountain, and ultimately there's a pain in the mountainside, and it realize, he, he realizes that all along he was in a good position of being the stonecutter. And I said, that's what Lechacha is all about, that Lechacha, finding yourself, basically going to yourself, that an instrumental part of finding yourself is ultimately the lech, is the go. That in order to really uncover who we are, we have to go. We have to experience things. We have to try things. We have to go. That's that's the only way that the stonecutter never would have realized he should have been the stonecutter had he not done this whole expedition of becoming the king and the sun and the clouds and the mountain. And basically go for yourself. An instrumental part of being able to really uncover who you are is first you have to go. Um, moving on, so I also spoke about how everybody in the entire world was told lechacha, yet only Avraham actually took advantage of it. And that's a tremendous lesson for us that how many times are we given an opportunity and everybody else is given that same opportunity, yet only us take advantage of it. You know, it's like you think about how many opportunities there are out there and how many of them we turn down. And Avraham was not that kind of person. When Avraham was given this tremendous opportunity, he took advantage of it. I also talked about how why is the Torah, um, why is it out of order? Being that from your first Avraham left from his land, then he left his relatives, then he left his father's house. But this seems like it should be the opposite order. First you leave your own house, then you leave your relatives, then you leave your land. But the Torah, the reason the Torah gives the reverse order is because I said that Terach, which was the father of Avraham, Terach, he was a Baal Teshuvah himself. He was someone that was sort of, uh, was, was on his way to Israel, as we read in last week's Parsha of Parsha Noach, that in Parsha Noach, at the end of Parsha Noach, uh, Terach was on his way to Israel himself. He was sort of a Baal Teshuvah himself. Meaning that Avraham, he was not a, Avraham's not a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. A person ultimately needs support. And that was, uh, that was Avraham, sorry, that was Terach. Terach was that person, was that Baal Teshuva, was that person that ultimately put Avraham in the position to become who he was. And that's why Avraham was able to leave his father's house last, because Terach was already so close. Terach was so close that Avraham, that was the last thing that he had to leave. Moving on, um, so I talked about why is it such a big test that because Moshe's told, sorry, Avraham's told that you know he's going to become a great nation that he's that people are going to bless him. So why is that so hard? You know why why is it hard to leave if you're going to become a great nation? And I quoted the Panim Yafot that said um, the only reason that Avraham went is because. Hashem told him to do it and not because uh, he would become a great nation. And um, so moving on, I talked about how when, when Moshe, sorry, when, when uh, Avraham, when Avraham gets to the land of, 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 uh, of Israel, there's immediately a famine and he has to leave for Egypt to, to survive the famine. And I quoted that Gemara where all the non-Jewish Jewish nations are complaining to God, why can't they be given the mitzvot? So they're given the mitzvah of sukkah and then God makes it so hot that they become disgusted and they leave the sukkah and they kick it. And I said, wait a minute, it's tire pater minasukkah, that a person that's unhappy, a person that's hot, a person that's miserable, that they are exempt from being in the sukkah. 
And the, um, the answer is, is that they shouldn't have kicked the sukkah. Yeah, they were okay to leave the sukkah, but they shouldn't have kicked it. And that was sort of what happened here, is that even though Abraham, Abraham, he came to the land of Israel and immediately there was a famine. Yet he didn't kick the land of Israel. He, he wasn't disgusted with the land of Israel like the non-Jews were with the sukkah. He was, okay, you know what? Sometimes we make plans in life and not all the plans work out the way that we expect them to. And just because they don't work out the way we expect them to, we shouldn't kick. We shouldn't become disgusted. We should just, with our hel- heads held up high, move on to the next opportunity. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham, yes, he came to Israel, but once there was a famine, he left. I also quoted the Ramban that said, really, this was a mistake for Moshe to leave, for Avraham to leave. And, um, and basically, none of our leaders are perfect. Even Avraham, even, you know, all, the, all our greatest leaders, the, the first Jew ever, Avraham, even him, he wasn't perfect. Moving on, so once they get to Egypt, Paro, he gets this terrible plague because he tried to marry Sarah. And I spoke about how Paro kind of had this spiritual acuity, the spiritual awareness, because he was able to recognize that the plague must be a result of of trying to marry Sarah. And he also had the spiritual awareness to know that Hagar, his daughter, would be better off being uh, a wife to Pharaoh, sorry, a wife to Avraham than to be Pharaoh's daughter. Moving on, so on his on Avraham's journey back to Israel, um, the word lamas, uh, lamas, uh, lamasa'av is used meaning his journey. And Rashi says that his journey means that Avraham stopped at all the same places on the way home as he did on the way there. And the Musar being, the the lesson being, is that even if we become wealthy, we shouldn't spend money on useless things on uh and and that was kind of so so presumably Avraham was much more wealthy on his way home because he had all the all the wealth from Pharaoh yet he wasn't willing to spend it on sort of useful uh useless things um I also was on a similar lesson I said that that the reason that Avraham and Lot had to split up is because they now had so much cattle there was being there was a lot of disputes between the two and the the lesson being here is that just because we have wealth, just because we have more kind of, you know, more money, more problems to a certain extent, that now that they had so much cattle, then all of a sudden there was a new problem. There wasn't enough land. Had they not had so much cattle, they wouldn't have had that same conflict. I also spoke about how even though, um, so so Avraham says, you know, to, to Lot, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And even though Lot was completely the one that was in the wrong, Lot was the one that was eating in Avraham's fields and not the other way around. Yet Avraham was willing to compromise. And sometimes, you know, even if we're right, even if we know as a fact that we're right and the other party's wrong, we should sometimes just say, you know what, I'm willing to take a compromise. And even though I know you're, you're the one that's in the wrong, um, I'm willing to compromise. I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to go left. I'm willing to leave just to, just to settle this, this uh, dispute. Moving on, so uh, the Torah says that Jews will be like dust, and there's a midrash that says that um, that dust outlives anyone that steps on it. And so, to the Jewish people, they live anyone that sort of steps on us, anyone that uh, tries to annihilate us. Ultimately, we've outlived them time and time again. Moving on, so Avraham he gets all the spoils, uh, or he's offered all the spoils from an, this sort of this epic world war, and he's not willing to even take a shoe strap yet. Um, even though he's not willing to take a shoe strap, his, um, 
his fighters, his, his allies, he does say, his allies say, he tells, he tells the, uh, the, 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 the people that the, his allies should take the spoils. And I said that, you know, we can be a tzaddik, we can be a righteous person, but just because we're trying to be a righteous person doesn't mean that we have to sort of burden everyone else and make, make sure that they don't take uh, what they rightly deserve. They rightly deserve the spoils, and they, Avraham says that they should get it. Moving on, um, so Hashem says that, that you should fear not, that Avraham should fear not, even um, for, for I am a shield for you. And I said, wait a minute, the war, the war is already over. Why would Avraham have any fear that he's not there? There's no war anymore. And I said that basically this is kind of recognizing PTSD. This is recognizing that concept that after a war, after a traumatic event, it takes some time to decompress. And that's why Avraham's told, fear not, even though you have nothing to actually fear, uh, we kind of have to be told not to fear. Moving on, so I got to the point about how Moshe, or how Avraham's told to count the stars if you're able to, and then this should be your offspring. And I said, the, uh, basically, that Avraham actually went and count, counted the stars. And what it, what it means that so should be your offspring is that basically your offspring should be kind of just as crazy as you are. That God told him, go and count the stars. And he actually tried to count the stars, even though it was impossible. And I said, so, so basically, so too should be your offspring, that your offspring should also be sort of a people that are sort of crazy enough to, um, to, to, try, to, to try to accomplish things, even if they seem, uh, seem somewhat impossible. Moving on, I talked about how when Hashem says uh, to his, that his, when Hashem tells Avraham that his, that Avraham's descendants will be slaves, but ultimately they'll leave with a lot of wealth. The reason Avraham doesn't complain about this is because it's like the Jewish people going to the gym. You know, the gym looks incredibly uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's, it's stressful. Yet we know that when we leave the gym, we'll end in better, we'll, 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 we'll leave with better health. And so too, the, the Jewish people, even though it's painful to be slaves, ultimately the Jews left with a lot of wealth and, and became sort of a better people because of the slavery. Moving on, so when Hagar um, becomes pregnant, Sarah treats her harshly. And I said we could learn something interesting from Rav Levin. Rav Levin says that Sarah really treated Hagar exactly the same as she always had, but Hagar's perspective changes, that Hagar had sort of this boost in self-confidence when she got pregnant, and she realized that she shouldn't be treated like a, uh, like a, like a servant anymore. And I said that sort of that's an important lesson for us, that sometimes when we get a boost of self-confidence, we realize that we've been treated sort of not the way that we should have been treated the whole, the whole time. And maybe sometimes we should certainly uh, leave certain situations if we sort of get that extra boost of self-confidence and we realize that we should be treated better than we are. Moving on, so why is um, Bris Mila chosen as the ultimate covenant? And I said it's because it's harder to take something away that you already have in your grasp than it is to lose something that you never had in the first place. And basically, one at, on the eighth day of our life, we're already giving. We're already sort of giving away uh, literally a part of our body, a part of us. And so certainly later on in life, that should train us that it'll be easier to give away our wealth, to give away our resources, to give away our, our time, uh, because we're already so used to giving away. Even on the eighth day of our life, we're willing, you know, or we're not necessarily willing, but on the eighth day of our life, we give away, you know, our, our foreskin. And as a result, later on in life, we'll be willing to give our way, to give away uh, tzedakah. To read the poem, in this parsha, Avraham is told to go. Then there's a drought, so he meets Paro. 
On the way to Egypt, on the way out of Egypt, they are given provisions. At the end of the parsha, they perform circumcision. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim.